You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much, yeah. Somebody said the football's a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. Welcome to Man Marking, the podcast that uses football as a vehicle to encourage men to become more comfortable talking about their mental health. Today, we're talking to Robbie Simpson. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so I'm Robbie Simpson. Um, I've been a professional footballer for the last uh, 12 years until the summer just gone. Uh, I had a bit of a different route into professional football. I was at Norwich as a, as a kid through their youth setup for for, for nine years. Um, uh, didn't get a scholarship. Um, went and played. Uh, well, went and signed for Cambridge City's academy. Um, which allowed me to do A-levels alongside um, getting coached every day. Uh, I was I was quickly played for their first team, which was at a Conference South level at the time. Um, completed my A-levels, got really good um, A-levels and went to university. Sort of had, a, had a dual sort of purpose at university and playing semi-professional football. Was lucky enough in the last year of my university degree to move to Cambridge United, um, who were a full-time professional football team. Um, Cambridge United were really good to me and allowed me to complete my degree, which I'm really thankful to them for. But I couldn't have, I, I couldn't have, if I, if someone was to give me a script of my life at, at 16 years old, I couldn't have written it down any better. My route into professional football, I, I wouldn't change for the world. And, in the studio today, I am joined by just one of the gruesome twosome. It's uh, it's Anthony Olsen. Anthony, you're alone on that side of the table today. How are we, mate? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we're a bit lonely. We are a little bit. We're, we're, we're one man short, one handsome man short. Yeah, it definitely brings the handsome level up. The handsome level's gone down, hasn't yeah, it? <laughs> yeah, very difficult. Ryan is unfortunately not going to be with us today. He has just recently bought a house that can only be described as... A shell of a house at the moment. A shell. A shell. <laughs> he is currently stripping wallpaper and destroying ceilings at yeah. present, so he is not with us today, unfortunately. But, but, there is still us. Yeah, you've got us. We, you've got us. I'm sure they're all delighted. <laughs> People at home, do not fear. <laughs> do not turn off your sets. The lads are still here. I think we're the best two anyway. Yeah, yeah. Not. I was going to say the sexiest two, but... No, that's not true. No, not <laughs> at all. I was going to say, actually, so we did an interview, didn't we, with Rick Edwards the other day. And I'm sat there, and we were on the Zoom call. Mm. And it's me, Ryan, and Rick Edwards. And I'm the bottom of the three, and Ryan and Rick are at the top. And I was sitting there, and I was asking them the questions. And I was sitting, and I was thinking, I'd always wondered, would I be able to make it on telly? And I was sitting there looking at it and going, yeah, f- face for radio, probably. Face for radio. <laughs> I think, like, looking at Rick Edwards is a good-looking lad as well. I yeah, think. He, exceptionally so. Tremendous stubble. yeah. Uh, Ryan's got tremendous stuff. Yeah, he has. Yeah, it's really annoying. I've got none of that going on. Yeah. It's either nothing, like zero, or like really 
<laughs> I'm not even going into it. We've done Movember. Let's move on. It's December now. So we're going to move on to our opening question. Yeah. Today we're speaking to Robbie Simpson. Now, Robbie Simpson runs an organization called LAPS, which is Life After Professional Sport, which helps professional athletes, former professional athletes, current professional athletes plan their future, plan different jobs and stuff they're going to do after their career. So the question that I'm going to ask you, Ant, is I want your favorite example of a footballer that now has a completely different career. And I'm going to caveat that question by saying you can't use Arndizayum, the former Wigan defender, who is now a detective in Holland. So you can't use Dezayum because we do actually discuss it in the interview itself. So, and over to you. Well, luckily, there's been uh, some articles on this. And um, (laughs) when I was looking through it just now, (laughs) because I'm very well prepared, (laughs) um, Ray Wilson, who earned a a winner's medal with England at the 1966 World Cup. After retirement, he took the natural step of becoming an undertaker. Oh, yeah. There you go. Very good. Football, life and death. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Did you know, this is a weird one, this isn't the one I was picking. Did you know Clive Allen went and played NFL? No. I don't know if it was NFL. He certainly played American football. Is there like a Division 2 NFL? There's, there's... I don't know if it's not like a Division 2. Like, is there like the, like the Tramia Tigers or something? Like a <laughs> like lower league NFL? I, I, think, there's, I think there's like, um, yeah, they won't be attributed to like a league or anything, but yeah, there's like yeah. So minor Cl- leagues kind of thing. After his career in uh, soccer, yeah. Clive Allen went and did a bit of American football. Why? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. There was, um, they used to play NFL at Tramia, actually. Not NFL, but it was like, um, there was American, American football, football at Tramia. Oh, really? I think there's a picture going around on Twitter somewhere. Is this... A while ago? Yeah, back in the 80s, I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. Very good. Um, I went for two. Oh, God. (laughs) But but it's because they're the same, and you'll see why. Okay. So, um, do you remember Stuart Tomlinson? He played for Burton Albion. He was in goal. He was massive. Uh, No, but go on. (laughs) And he went on to be a WWE wrestler. Did he? The same as Tim Weiser, or Weiser, the the German fella. They both went and... Went and became wrestlers after their career. Can you guess Stuart Tomlinson's is 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 wrestler name? Stuart Tomlinson. So Stuart Tomlinson, born in Chester, former Crew Alexandra and Burton Albion goalkeeper. Uh, what was his wrestler name? His stage name? I don't know, like the Burton Basher or something. It was Hugo Knox. Hugo Knox. <laughs> And he described himself as something like, um, Hugo Knox is going to be a big warrior with the tightest pair of polka dot pants you've ever seen or something like that. He got, he lasted two years. Contract wasn't renewed. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, same with Tim Weiser, actually. They both did it 2014, 2016. All oh, right, okay. Grant Holt does it now, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't think he's WWE. I think he's just in, like, gyms in, like, Wolverhampton, just slamming people. I think it's it's still, I mean, like... Still crowds and stuff, well, not now, but there's yeah. still crowds and stuff, isn't there? This may surprise you. So, my ex girlfriend, whose name we won't speak of, her brother does wrestling now as well. All right. Mm. All right. Which I saw on Instagram. Oh, cool. A while ago, which is pretty cool. And it was after I'd seen him last. And I'm like, I want to bump into him in town because he works in town and say, How's the wrestling going? Just do like a stone cold stunt. Yeah, that could, couldn't I? <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't an audio feature but anyway I'll tell you the other one I was thinking of do you remember when Ben Bear just signed for Tramia yes and then left in yeah. the pre-season to go and be a teacher yeah yeah that was interesting wasn't it yeah, it was good of him it was yeah he's doing yeah. very well yeah I also was because I remember at the time thinking oh Ben Bear just, he's good isn't he because I remember him playing for Hull 
He played for Blackpool as well, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a good player. I remember him just he scoring goals and stuff. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's a good signing for us, especially under a Ronnie Moore. Yeah, I remember, yeah. I remember looking at him going, big fella. Yeah. Big Ben. And then I was like, oh, he's retired. Yeah. Oh, 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 that's oh, gone well. Right, great. <laughs> so he w- took one step inside Prenton Park. Went, nah, nah. Yeah, no, I'm not having any of I'm giving this. So Robbie Simpson, we've got on the show today, former uh, Oldham Athletic, Milton Keynes, Exeter. Brentford. Brentford striker. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of other clubs in there as well. A lot of clubs, a lot of clubs he's played for. Um, currently the manager of Chelmsford. Ah, okay. Mm, there you he go. Is, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. So, we spoke to Robbie. And the reason we wanted to speak to Robbie was because of this organisation that he now runs called LAPS, which is Life After Professional Sport. And one of the things that kind of comes up a lot for us in these interviews especially with people who are footballers who maybe fall out of the game at an early age or maybe their career doesn't develop into what they hoped it would be it's what they do after football that they're often concerned about isn't it that's what causes a lot of anxiety for them is not having that structure not having you know a bit of a purpose mm-hmm. so what they do laps which we'll talk about in the episode is provide that structure and provide that future for footballers so seem like a perfect person to talk to especially given the fact that he had a long and storied Football career, including scoring at Anfield for Oldham, um, which was an absolute screamer, and we'll pop that on on Twitter as well. Um, but we always have a theme, and we always have a theme. Do you want to tell the listeners what this week's theme is? Life after professional sport. Keep it simple. Yeah, nice and easy. Yeah, keep it yeah. nice and easy, nice and nice and smooth. Yeah, like I was going to say peanut butter, but I don't really like peanut butter. No, I'm not a big fan of peanut butter. But yeah, life after professional sport. It's it's been a it's it's been a talking point. It's become more. Uh, into the public eye recently as well and mm. actually yesterday I was reading a, a story about Klaus Longdorf oh, okay. um, who obviously was a Premier League captain for Southampton and yeah. had to retire through injury and basically said his life fell apart with mm. addictions and, and various other things and you know it's it's something that you know people look at, at footballers and, and any, any professional athlete and, and probably anyone who earns a, a, a decent amount of money and you're thinking, oh, you're made, now you're done. Yeah. You, you don't need to do anything else. But I suppose when you take away someone's passion. Yeah. It's an identity, kinda, I think. Yeah, it kind of leaves them it? like rudderless, doesn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, it's really difficult. And even, you know, just off the top of my head, thinking about those, you know, those Harry's Heroes yeah, programs. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you look at them and you, you're thinking, oh, these these lads, they struggle. Yeah. They're like everyone else. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the law did so much. I mean... I remember watching though that Arsenal documentary at '89. Yeah, and you're looking at them and you're going, "These, you know, are going in, in nightclubs after they've won the title and stuff yeah. like that." And you're like, "You even only have to look at our club." You remember when we got promoted yeah. the two times? People are just like, "I, I went, I was, I was holding players <laughs> like I'd never held a loved one before." And you, I was, t- I was honestly, I was like, just like, "You, you do not understand yeah. how much so, I love you." I think when you take that away from them. It's, it must be so hard. Oh, enormously so. I mean, I I get a bit down when I've I've not got much to do. <laughs> like you know what I mean? And yeah, it's it's a, it's a whole big melting pot, isn't it? Because you've got yeah. the the careers the careers ended, so yeah. you've got all that time. You've got your identity is wrapped up in being a footballer because you've done it for so long. Mm-hmm. You've also got the fact that despite popular opinion, footballers at a certain level don't actually earn that much money. Yeah. They earn yeah. decent money, but it is for a short period of time. Yeah, and yeah. for some players, you know, if we talk about, say, League One and League Two players, even if you hear the numbers 50, 60, 70 grand a year, which to the average person is a lot of money, mm-hmm. even they may already earn, earn that for two or three seasons mm-hmm. because 
at that level, it's so up and down. You're never too far away from from an injury. Yeah, you know, as, we, as a, we've seen in previous yeah, interviews, or a loss of form, or absolutely. a relegation, or anything. It just damages those things hugely. Yeah. So you add all those things in together, mm. combined with the other sort of difficulties that come with you know, the thing that you were passionate about, you're no longer yeah, able yeah. to do and all that sort of stuff. And you can just see how problems can come out of yeah, the back of that. So, absolutely. yeah. So we're going to leave you with uh, Robbie Simpson's interview here. You're listening to Man Marking and we'll see you on the other side. Could you just give our listeners an idea of why you agreed to do an interview for us, please, Robbie? Um, yeah, obviously, I... I I'd sort of got wind of, of of the essence of the podcast, and mental health is something that's um, that I feel feel passionate about. Um, and there's many reasons why sports people in particular suffer from mental health. Um, and to tackle all of them for for, for one organisation, tackle all of them is really tough. And I'd seen many of my old former teammates, the older ones, and. I remember actually my first day at Coventry. Um, I sat down in the change room in between the two most experienced players, which was Stephen Hughes, obviously, because he's ex-Arsenal, and I just wanted to ask him loads of questions. <laughs> um, and uh, Ariane Dezou. And um, in be- I was in between them, and they were speaking, literally first day of... Um, first day of pre-season it was, they, was, they started speaking about what they were going to, what they're planning to do after football. They were both in their 30s, early 30s, mid-30s, and they were both speaking about what they wanted to do after football. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I, I thought I was 21 at the time thinking I'd made it and I'd, I'd never have to work again because I'm just signed for a championship club. And then I've got yeah. Stephen Hughes, who I sort of know was uh, a bit of a big fan of because he's played for Arsenal. He's won the Premier League. He's won the FA Cup. So I'm there thinking, uh, he's set for life. But he's, he's thinking, and actually I can sense the worry in his voice about what he's going to do beyond football. And that was a big realisation for me, actually. Um, and he's asking me advice because he, know, he, he knew that I went to university and I had that route into football. So he was asking me, I said, oh, how do I get a degree then? What do I do? Like, I need a degree, don't I? And um, I'm, like, I'm there just baffled thinking, why is this Premier League winner, FA Cup winner, asking me for advice about what he wants to do after football. It was a really surreal moment. Um, and then again, obviously, players have retired and I've seen one of my former Coventry teammates again actually tried to commit suicide when his career was coming to an end. Um, and myself, when I left Oldham, um, I was out of contract for a number of period of months. Um, I went on I was probably a bit arrogant and naive thinking I had a better season than I did and uh, wanted to get signed by a championship club um, and looking back that was never going to happen um, <laughs> but I, I just sort of, sort of probably thought that was my last chance to get back to the championship so did everything I could to do that and turned down offers from League 1 and, and even League 2 clubs and I ended up stuck not w- without a team and it got to the November until I actually signed a really short-term deal with Leighton Orient and then earned myself a new deal. But in those five months, it was it was really tough um, mentally, financially, um, and the worry that you know, I've, got, I've got a mortgage to pay and my wife and we were thinking about wanting to get married and start a family at the time. And it was, it was kind of like, well, none of that's going to happen unless I 
find a job and it looks like football might not happen so I need to find another career and I didn't feel like there was the necessary support out there um, for that um, which didn't help which just added to the anxiety really and um, it was that sort that was my light bulb moment because I ended up looking on the PFA website at players that were in my position so players that were out of contract still in the November and there were 400 other names on that list. Um, wow. So I thought, I thought with myself, and I was, I was quite sensible with my money when I was earning good money, and I'd saved um, pretty much half my wages every month. And um, I've got a degree behind me. So in, in essence, I should be in a really good position to take my time and find a new career um, with my degree background as well. Um, and I'm, I'm looking at the list thinking, I bet 99% of those 400 on that list aren't in any way near as good a position as me. So if I'm feeling anxious, what must, what must they be feeling? Yeah. Um, I was, uh, it was that sort of light bulb moment that made me feel like I had to sort of try and create something to help this scenario. Um, and, and my aspect of, I went and actually met with loads of different other sports people because I went to Loughborough University. So I knew people that went into rugby, cricket, athletics. And I started speaking to those about what support there is. And all the feedback was exactly the same. It's a really anxious time when someone's sporting career comes to an end. And the fact that it can end so quickly through injury, um, nobody wanting to offer you a contract, um, or just people can't deal with the pressure. They just want to step away from it. Um, the, fear that the, the feedback was very much the same. It's a really anxious time. And although there is some support and the support is getting better each year, it need, there's such a long way to go to tackle it. And I, I went and met with Sporting Chance and I asked them about the number of cases they feel like stem from the end of someone's sporting career. And they said to me that probably 70% of the people they see, their troubles have come from their career ending and they're not being able to handle it and not having another um, passion or an identity or, a, or, or something just to, to take their mind off sport and move into something that interests them beyond sport. Because all they've ever been told is, well, I know from a football perspective, all you ever told is, if you want to be a footballer, you have to eat, sleep, drink football. Yeah, twenty twenty four seven, and and that's actually really not not the case. And in actual fact, studies have now proven that if players that have other interests away from football or away from sport actually perform better on the pitch. Um, so yeah, and that, just, uh, yeah, that probably doesn't surprise me too much. As I imagine, when confidence is low, especially so many players as a striker, to get your mind off it is quite good to go home and just sit there and think about it it's probably not not great for your own mental health and we were speaking to um, john mackin a few few weeks back and even at the height of his career we sort of glamorized being a footballer but that moving around if, you, if you're a northern lad or someone from down south and your only offer is 200 miles away and you've got a young family and they're in school it mustn't be easy people just think because somebody's offered you a deal it's you're still going to remain as a footballer when in in reality it could be really detrimental to your home life yeah that's it I, I, that that scenario you said about moving I, I signed um i signed back at cambridge united towards the latter end of my career and i honestly thought i'd stay there until i retired 
Um, but there was a change of manager and um, he basically said that I wouldn't get, I, wouldn't, I actually needed three more appearances to get, uh, by Christmas I'd made, I think 27 appearances and I needed three more appearances to trigger an automatic year extension. And uh, Sean Derry's manager at the time just pulled me in in January and said, I can't play you anymore because it would trigger trigger your extension and I'm not sure I'd want to keep you next year. So, right. <laughs> um, so uh, I ended up, yeah, I ended up taking the clause out of my contract just so I could carry on playing. Um, and uh, at the end of that summer, I got released. But when I signed for Cambridge, I moved my, I bought sort of what I've considered our forever home. Um, I moved my wife down from Manchester because she was still living in Manchester from when we were at Oldham. And and we planned to get married and start a family. And next thing I know, I was out of a job again. Um, and I ended up signing for Exeter, <laughs> which is miles <laughs> away from uh, from where we live. Um, so, yeah, that just put the whole life situation on, on hold, <laughs> really, again, <laughs> for two years. So it is, it's difficult. It is, it is really difficult. And from the outside looking in, you think, oh, well, get on with it. You're a footballer. You're living everybody's dream. But living inside it, it's, it's hard to know the difficulties and the struggle unless you've actually li- lived it, really, and been in those scenarios. And I can totally get people's perception that, you know, all footballers are millionaires because they, they look at the Premier League players and think that all footballers are like that. But, you know, League One and League Two players, Although they are they earn good money for what they do and and they're doing something that they love, um, yeah, it, it it doesn't last forever and and they live to their means and they don't have a lot of sort of spare money. Um, to to jump back to your um, youth career then, because travelling seems to be something you've you've done all your all your career. You you obviously started at Norwich, but I believe did you grow up in Dorset? No, I was born in Dorset, but. Um, I, I don't remember ever being down there. I think we moved from when I was two. Oh, okay. So did you live in the in the Norwich area then growing up? Um, no, I lived in Nebworth, which is right by Stevenage. And Norwich had a, a centre of excellence at Potter's Bar at the time. That was was, was just down the road and they had a centre of excellence there, and which is what, like pre, you... pre-academies. When you went offered schoolboy terms, uh, I think you then went and signed for Cambridge. What what was that like for you at the age of? I think you would have been about eighteen at the time. How did you take that? And and was it sort of? Did you yeah. feel like that was the end of your dream or just the start of it? Yeah, I was sixteen at the time, and I bawled my eyes out when they didn't offer me a scholarship. <laughs> but you know, I'm not sure my mum would have let me go there um, purely because Norwich didn't allow. The players to do A levels, they they all had to do a the equivalent to a what now is a B tech in sports science, I think, and um and and thinking about it at the time, although I was devastated, it, I wanted to I wanted to go to university as well. I had older brothers and sisters that all went to university and used to come home from university and um, just tell me what a good time they were having. And obviously my mum kept drumming into me that my mum always used to say, you're never going to be a footballer. Like one, you're not good enough. And two, you're getting a good education. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it was so good for me. My mum telling me that because one, I wanted to prove her wrong football wise. And two, uh, 
she was so good for me. To, it was so good for me to actually make sure I got a good education. And it was um, quite a commute, really, wasn't it? Loughborough to Cambridge every week. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's, um, like was I'm it just really a case of jumping on a train on a Friday night, or how how did you work that? Uh, I I drove. I drove, yeah, I kept my car up in Loughborough and drove drove there and back and every week. That would have been nice on the Monday. What did you do at the weekend? And you've, you've just scored a goal against somebody and everybody else has uh, been sat yeah. playing or something. <laughs> uh, well, there was a night out in the student union called SND, Friday Night Disco. And uh, I always used to miss it. And driving back on a Friday to Cambridge, I always think, oh, should I have just stayed and gone out? But I, was, <laughs> I remained, I remained disciplined. and drove back every Friday, and um, I think, yeah, on the on the on the Saturday, it was all it was all it was worth the sacrifice. Yeah, you would have got your third wicket in and thought, this isn't for yeah. me. This is going to be playing football tomorrow. <laughs> How hard did you I just, find playing alongside the degree? Joe, you know I didn't I didn't find it that difficult. I've always been someone who likes to keep myself busy um, yeah. and and involved in lots of different things if i'm there um if i'm there with spare time i like i i don't like playing playstation or anything like that i uh, sitting down for a long period of time like my missus hates me when i'm on holiday because i plan stuff for us to do all day every day I'll research the place we are and what's good to do and we all we're always out and she just wants to sit there and sunbathe but i just can't <laughs> I cannot sit still for more than 10 minutes. I have to be doing something. So I actually, I think my personality, I found, I found it, I found it quite easy um, to, to do both. One thing I wanted to, to ask you about as well is we, had, we actually had Tramia's chairman, uh, Mark and Nicola Palios on the other day. And quite similar to your story, Tramia let Mark do an accounting degree when I think he was 17 and he first signed his pro deal. And, I think one of the reasons he bought the club many years later was he always touched on he, he he always remembered them allowing him to do that and you may remember he ended up becoming the chief executive of the FA and having quite a successful career away from playing five six hundred games professionally and Tramier have since set up a college whereby they take in kids from I think it's twelve to eighteen and give them a bit of an education alongside playing football. Did you think because you you had the degree you got to enjoy your football a lot more because you almost felt like I know I can do other things outside of this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I think that it's probably proven by my 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 top goal scoring season. Um, although it was at a lower level, has been the year that I was actually studying alongside playing football. Um, so I guess that's that's kind of proof in the pudding, um, really. Um, but yeah, I was able. It's always nice to have, and I, I guess it's what we what we try and portray in terms of having having other interests away from football. It's nice to have a release where you can just do something else and forget about football, or do football that takes my mind off of my studies and just gives me a break from that. It's I think that's really healthy. Yeah, and was you a lot more comfortable in the latter years of your career? Because you almost thought, well, if once I do retire, I've got things I may want to do. And um, did you not have that same maybe lull or moment where you think I don't have a clue what I want to do, or are you still trying to discover that as well while while you're doing the coaching aspect? Well, I, I set up laps 
about three years ago. Um, and well, about, yeah, about three and a half years ago now coming up to, um, and I'll be honest, I still didn't have a clue what, uh, when I first, before I started laps, I still didn't have a clue what I wanted to do. Or in fact, if, if I'm worthy of a job in any other career, like when you play football, you think, right, I'm, I'm a worthy football player. I'm after this, I'm sort of, I'm worthless. I've, I've not got any attributes. I haven't been able to play football. And that was the same for me, even though I had a degree behind me. Um, and it, I, uh, I partnered with um, a recruiter called Rob Steed to set up laps. And my very first conversation with him, I asked him, I said, well, why, why do you want to help sports people? And he said, well, in actual fact, I want to help businesses because he'd been asked by three of his companies that he works for, that he recruits for, um, to, to help them find sports people to employ. And that got me really intrigued. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, there was one scenario where they employed a former Olympic medalist, um, a rower, and within three months, he'd broken all the sales records at that company. And he'd since been promoted to head of sales. And they need someone to replace the role that he was in. And they want someone exactly like him. And I was like, well, what was it? What did they say? Um that it was about him that made him so successful and he started listing off that he was competitive driven um learned really quickly um if he failed he quickly put it right and did it did it better the next time um determination grit all, all the natural attributes that sports people have that they necessarily don't they don't necessarily realize they have um are easily transferable to to the business world and into other careers and they just need to to channel it really and and know how to use them in different aspects of life and and that really hit home to me that actually every sports person has these has these attributes naturally without even knowing and um i needed i needed and wanted to get the message out there that you know that sports people are des are desirable and have a real big value um, beyond beyond their sport, and for them not to think that they're worthless. One of the just on the on your when you were doing your, your studying alongside playing, what was the um, what kind of reaction did the the other people at the club, your teammates and and stuff, have to that? Um, they nicknamed me the student. <laughs> <laughs> Standard football it. to that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, and it was it was very rare back then. I mean. I've told the story before that um, at Coventry, I was the only one in the change room to have done any form of degree or education, um, hence the nickname, the student. Um, but later on down my career, when I did sign for Exeter, um, there was actually 11 of the squad that had either completed a degree or currently studying for a degree. And that shows the change in mindset over time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's and and that's it's 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 changed for the better, in my opinion. So yeah, in terms of um, how it was back then when I was combining the both, yeah, I did get a lot of stick. Um, and I think if I hadn't carried on scoring on Saturdays, I would have got a lot more stick. <laughs> We've spoken a lot when doing these these interviews about kind of the difficulties that that younger footballers have when they're 
you know, when they're at that, that key stage, sort of late teens, early 20s, at the sort of make or break years about whether they're going to get a career or not. And and it seems as though, like you say, that there's a lot of pe- more people now who are looking at, can they do some education alongside it? And the tide seems to be turning. What kind of vulnerabilities that the young footballers put themselves in if they don't kind of have a backup plan? Well, yeah, they put themselves in a, in a very vulnerable position, really. If they put all their eggs in in the football basket and it, and it and it doesn't work out then you know what what have they got they're going to have to start start again uh, and and start where like you said with the Wayne Rooney saga most other 16 year olds would have completed their GCSEs but but he didn't because he got thrust into football at such a young age but what what if he got a career ending injury at, at 21 suddenly He's now five years behind all of his other sixteen-year-old, all his other sixteen-year-olds mates were, in terms of getting another career, and and, and that's that's the vulnerability. I mean, it, anyone can start at any time. Like our models are, our motto is that it's never too early. But on the other hand, it's never too late. Yeah. Um, it, it, it's never too late to start thinking and and planning for your future. Um, so although although yes they are sort of in a in a worse off position, um, it, it just means that, that, that it's delayed a little. They can still start now. Uh, if, if, if there's a 35 year old now who's about to retire this summer hasn't done anything, um, I wouldn't say that's that's it. Just give up because it's too late. I'd, I'd, I'd just say start now. Then um, yeah, it might take you a year or two to get qualified, and hopefully you've got some financial backing and. Uh, that enables you to do that, um, and if not, there are there are lots of careers that actually don't require prior qualifications, and you can you can learn on the job and get qualified on the job. So, and is that, that that kind of culture of you know is that encouraged from within the game? Do clubs actively pursue that for for players in terms of looking at their what they're going to do after the game, or is it more just left up no. to the individual? Yeah, the clubs the clubs don't do it at all really. Um, I mean, they do at a younger age, so the the youth the youth players now, um, like the the Premier League fund um, fund laps to to go in and run workshops with each Premier League club under 18s and some under 23s. So there is um, there is some structure in place for under 18s and under 23s to help them to start think about their future beyond football but in terms of first team players no it's very much um, the football club just just help you along with your football um, and, I've, and I can see why uh, you know um, football clubs will say you know what's in it for them if they help yeah if they if they help someone get a degree it means nothing to them they just want them to perform on the pitch so <laughs> so it can be beneficial for the club in that sense it's difficult, isn't it? It feels like one of those things that it's almost, it's hard, you know, if it, if it's not um, if it's not fundamentally kind of encouraged, then it can be difficult for it to fall on an individual, but also an organisation might say, well, it's the individual responsibility to, to look after themselves and, and then it can almost fall between two stalls, can't it, at that point? That's it. And, and, and I always say, ultimately, it is the responsibility of the player to take control. I always talk about taking control of your future. And that's what, uh, and that's what I decided to do this summer. I could have gone on trial with 
with various clubs and I did go and train with with another club in pre-season but I soon sort of realised that hang on a minute if even if I do get another year deal which is all it would be um, next summer I'm let's say I'm a year later so it's going to be a, it's going to be harder for me and in hindsight I'm absolutely delighted due to this coronavirus that I'm not retiring this summer <laughs> <laughs> that'll be a nightmare uh, yeah but last time I just made the decision, right, I'm going to take control of my future. I'm going to go to a part-time football team and forge myself a career that's going to be my my long-term career for the next 20 to 30 years before, in, before I fully retire or take my second retirement. <laughs> so in terms of practicalities then, how difficult is it if you're sat in front of a, an 18, 18-year-old, 21-year-old at a Premier League club to say, right, I know you, 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 you're, gonna, you, you're looking at the likes of you know, as we say, Wayne Rooney, Sergio Aguero, these type of people, you know, they're earning this much and they're, they're, they're doing this and they're on the telly and all the rest of it. How difficult is it to say to them, OK, you need to stop thinking about that for a second and start thinking about maybe doing some studying. Practically, how difficult are those conversations to have? Really tough. Really, really tough. Um, yes, it is. It... Well, there's there's no other word for it. It's really tough to change or to adjust a young player's mindset who all they want to do is be a professional football player and and emulate the, the people that you say they're they're looking up to. Um that's all they want to do. Nothing else matters to them. And um we try and we try and sort of give them a few stats to try and hit home. So sort of like a few shocking stats like 40% of footballers divorce when they retire. Um, I think it's two out of five go bankrupt within five years of retiring. Um, and then we give them positive examples. So, you know, John Terry's invested into a swim, a swim short company and obviously he's doing his coaching. Um, Gary Neville obviously is in the limelight. He's some, somebody that we can say to players, he's finished his football career. And he's been at the best club, won European titles, played for England, won Premier Leagues. He's earned a lot of money and could probably sit at home doing nothing for the rest of his life, just enjoying family time. But he's not. He's driven and determined in a new career as being the best pundit he can possibly be. He, does, he hasn't just become the best pundit because he's been Gary Neville. Mm. He's, I'm, I'm 100% sure he's done training he works on it every day he studies other pundits he studies the game in between it what you know he's it, he's fully fully embraced a new career beyond football that he doesn't necessarily have to do so even if these players think they're going to play for England they're going to play in the Premier League they're going to earn so much money they don't even have to do anything they'll still need something when it's all finished, to wake up in the morning and get their teeth into because it's how they're designed. You've mentioned laps a few times, Robbie. Do you kind of want to just talk us through exactly what it is and and what type of things that you do? Yeah, uh, so laps is what I call a career resource platform. Um, originally, it was designed just to be a a job board, so a a, a website that sports people can go on to and look at new careers that they could apply for. But I soon realized that more needed to be done. So we've got 
for example, I'd, I, when I finished, I hadn't, I hadn't written a CV since I was 16. And I wouldn't have a clue where to start. So we've got a page on how to write a CV and an actual CV builder that will help you build a CV for you. Um, guidance for interview technique. We know lots of people, um, lots of sports people won't have a clue what to get into when they retire. What? So we've got um, we've got a what what career might suit you type thing with with videos about how you can filter down sectors and then filter the sectors into roles. Um, on the website, we've got information on over 200 different careers, and each each career is split up into a general synopsis of what the career is like, um, what qualifications you might need to um, have a career in that, um, what your expected sort of starting salary might be, and then projected salary if you if you if you move on in that career. Uh, we've got um, We've done. We've we've gone around the country and found sports people that have transitioned into new careers successfully, and we've gone and done a video, short video interview with them, like ten minutes each, just asking them about their transition and about how their sporting background has helped them in their new career, and give advice to anybody watching the video how to do the same. So how best to go about. Um, starting a journey into that career that they've that they've gone into. Are you, um, we, and are you able to give us any any examples of those sort of success stories? Well, it's a, it's a good one actually. When you spoke about Daniel Nardiello, um, so one of my former teammates at Exeter got released from Exeter and um, went and played, went and started playing part time football. Went and got the best deal he could. Um, Realised that he, he needed to form another career he, he'd been to university but he wasn't quite sure how to utilize that degree um he actually messaged me about um careers in property because that quite interested in him and investing in property and it just so happened that the company that daniel nardiello used st james's place wealth management um contacted us because they've got an academy to um transition career transition over a six-month period, they get you fully qualified as a financial advisor and take you on an intensive training course so you're ready to go into the real world over six months. And they actually pay you during those six months as well. And I just mentioned it to um, to my teammate, Exeter, and, and he said, well, I'll, I'll go along to an open day to find out more, but I'm really interested in property. Um, so we had an open day with, with St. James's Place for them to basically explain all about this, this career opportunity for sports people. And they, you don't need any prior qualifications at all to do it. And um, he went along and afterwards he rang me and he said, I want to do that. And I was like, I had to make sure. I said, are you sure? Because you mentioned you wanted to, something in property. Although this is aligned to perhaps investment, um, are you sure? And he's like, no, hundred percent. He said, I said, look, well, don't make a decision now. I'll, I'll, I'll get a one-to-one -one meeting with like the head of the academy to explain more detail. So he, he done that. And he, um, he, he rang me up saying, look, the more and more I hear about it, the more and more I want to do it. Uh, and he ended up doing it. And, and now he's, he's having a really, really great, great career in, in financial advice. Um, and he's utilising everything from his sporting background, his network, his his 
his teamwork, his leadership skills, um, his communication, his, his drive, his competitiveness. He's using all of those attributes from, from sport. And now he's, you know, he, he calls me often, very often, and just, just to thank me, which is, which is what I do it for, really. Every time he calls me and thanks me, it, just, it gives me that feeling that, that scoring a goal did. Yeah. It's that, like, um, that confirmation that you're, you're doing the right thing and putting people in the right direction, that it's, that it's working, it's, it's doing something positive for people. In terms of the work that you do, you said, with the, with the Premier League, how does that work? Um, yeah, so we got put in touch uh, with the Premier League. They, I actually spoke at a, um, a player care conference and um, Michelle Farrar, who's head of player care at the Premier League, came up to me after I spoke and wanted a meeting with me to find out more about LAPS. And um, at that time, we were just an online platform. So uh, it, it's, it's a membership-based platform, but it's, it's, completely, it's a completely free membership all you have to be is a, a current or former sports person um, or a youth sports person. And um, Michelle wanted us to do a bit more. And she said, look, can you, can you do some, can you come up with something that will, um, that's a bit more sort of interactive and face to face rather than just her telling all the young Premier League footballers at, at academies to, to sign up to this website that they really don't have any control over. They wanted a bit more control. So, so we, the LAPS team went away and, and came up with a workshop to, to help players think about their future beyond football. And we give the sort of shocking stats of, uh, I mentioned earlier, we give some positive examples um, of, of players that have transitioned um, into new careers, some high profile ones too, and, and get them to do exercises to try and find out a bit more about them and, and their interests and potential careers that they can go into with those interests. So we run a, a 90 minute, quite fitting 90 minute workshop. Um, and, uh, and yeah, the Premier League fund us to go, to go around all the Premier League under 18s and under 23s each season. That's great. That, I, is, it's, it's, it seems like one of those really positive things that the, that are going on behind the scenes. We've heard a few things going on that, that don't get talked about enough. I don't think in terms of, maybe the reputation yeah. that the Premier League gets and I think that type of thing should be spoken about more. Yeah, so we, we, had, we had some great feedback and um, we actually ran a pilot sort of careers event at the Etihad Stadium last season and we did one this season before coronavirus hit and we had to cancel the others. Um, but we basically got loads of course providers and loads of employers who are actively looking to recruit sports people either onto their course or into their company so we've got a room full of about 30 exhibitors from from different from different um sectors as well so from from construction to financial advice to firemen to personal trainers we've got all these different providers in the room and we invited as many under 18s as possible and opened it up to some first team people as well and we got great support from the Premier League and the League Football Education um, trying to get people there and we got um, we got a little bit of, of funding from from both of them as well to put these on and um, it was a just really really great event and really good to see young players interacting with companies and and even if they speak I, I, I say to them I, I meet all the players as they arrive and I just said look go and speak to everybody Every, go and interact with every single stall 
even if you speak to a uh, an exhibitor and you come away thinking i'll never i'll never go into that that's not for me think of that as a positive because you've filtered down what your interests are yeah um so even if it's even if you walk away thinking god that was rubbish that's a positive <laughs> for me <laughs> so yeah these events are, these events are going to be great and um unfortunately we had to cancel the last the last two this season because of coronavirus but when everything gets back to normal um you know there was at the etihad there were 300 kids there um and there was there was half of that when we did one at villa park um but that's because half of them dropped out uh due to coronavirus worries so um yeah when we when we when we start them up again i think i'd I'd love for them to be publicized more and 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 shouted about more because they really are positive things that um, don't necessarily get seen. The the um, the lockdown you mentioned there's almost provided a a bit of a window into what what life could be like when players have to retire. I suppose uh, uh, in terms of given players who are currently playing, or you know, in the, in the sort of you set up a bit of a snapshot of what life would look like when football's removed for them. Do you reckon that that this sort of period has maybe given players some some good insight and do you reckon that'll encourage people when things get back to normal to, to start engaging more with, with what they're going to do after their career? Definitely. Definitely. And I think over the next two months as well, when, when players, uh, well, the, it's out there in the public now that clubs are struggling financially and players aren't going to get offered deals what they want and, and aren't going to get offered deals full stop. And um, there's going to be a lot of players out of contract this summer. I mentioned there was 400 uh, the year that I sort of had this light bulb moment. There's, there's probably going to be about 14, 1500 this summer, I think. And um, yeah, it's, it's scary to think that a, a large majority of those perhaps haven't thought about their future. And I think, I think because of this, it's, it's been uh, an awakening for a lot. Even the even the ones with secure contracts over the next two or three years, even those, they're probably looking at their teammates now, thinking, "Yeah, that that could be me in a couple of years' time. I need to, I need to do something now, so I'm not I'm not panicking when when the time actually does come." And in terms of looking back on on your own time, how do you think sort of you would have been, how how your career or your life would have gone had you not got that basis of education before you'd you'd started your career um i think i would have put a lot more pressure on myself um and not necessarily in a good way i put a lot of pressure on myself anyway to be the best i can at everything and fully commit but if if i only had if i didn't have anything to sort of back myself up that would just enhance the pressure and i don't think in a good way um it's uh, if if something's uh it's like when you go into sales if you're desperate to make the sale because you need the money you'll never make the sale because you, you'll come across desperate yeah. and you push it too hard um i i like that i like that sort of scenario or, or example but if you go in to a sales meeting not necessarily needing the sale but wanting to help someone because you know you've got a good viable product that you that the company will benefit from um 
then suddenly you'll find yourself doing business, I think. So it's it's kind of that. I think that's a good example of it. I just wanted, before we, we wrapped up, to touch on your, your time at Chelmsford and your transition into to management. I appreciate it's been curtailed by Corona, but how have you found that? Yeah. Um, it was tough to begin with. Uh, I didn't. I was just take. I just took over in the interim, um, and I'd, I'd never thought about becoming a manager really, um, other than my mum's saying. I, I told you, about my mum said I'd never be a footballer. She actually, <laughs> all, she actually always said to me that she thought she'd think I'd. Um, she would thought I'd be a good manager. She always said, "I think you'd be a good manager, Robbie," and that kind of always stuck in my head. Um, so perhaps. I don't know, subconsciously, I did always want to be a manager, but I never thought about becoming a manager. And although I did get my coaching badges, um, it was always like a just-in-case type thing. And when I took over in the interim, I I kind of took it as, this is an interim, I, I just want to be a player, but I'm just helping out in the interim and whatever manager comes in, um, I'll just revert to that. The more and more I got stuck into it, the more and more I enjoyed it and the chairman asked me whether I was considering it a, a few times and my answer was no to begin with. But the longer it went on and um, the more victories we had, uh, I I kind of sort of called him back and said, I think I would consider it. Do you fancy having a, another chat? But it, it, it's difficult. It, it has its pros and cons because I've been all the players' teammates. So it's really, really tough to leave them out. That's been really tough because I genuinely get on with all of them uh, and and like and, and love all of them so in, in different ways and they're all very good players in, in their own certain way whether it fits with my style of play or not it will they'll all fit in with someone else's and they're really tough things to do when you've got when you've already got an established friendship with them because you don't want it to affect the friendship yeah um, imagine being having been on the other side of that probably fairly recently you, you touched on the moment at Cambridge with Sean Derry it's then hard it must be really tough for you to then and go be the Sean Derry in that situation if that makes sense yeah absolutely I mean I don't I mean from I, I you say you learn from experiences I don't think I would ever do that because I know how it felt to me like I felt that um I said at the time to Sean Derry and to Cambridge I said look I just want I just want you to honour my contract. The contract that I signed, that you signed, I just want you to honour it. And at the same time, on a Saturday, I want you to pick the best team to win the football match. And if that includes me, then great, regardless of the contract situation. And if it doesn't, then then fine. I just want you to be honourable. And I think I've always learned from that that I would never do that. And... um and, and I've learned that I've, I've been the whole retained and released list that comes out. And I know it's an obligation of clubs to do a retained and release list. But when clubs just put the retained and the release list out without any further explanation about anything, I find that tough because players are, are human beings. They don't just deserve to be on a list. So um, for every player that we've released or I don't like the word release, but not often terms to. Um, I've made sure that our media team do it on an individual basis and make sure that they, um, in the in the news story, contain a quote from myself about the reasons why. 
um, and making sure that they say that, that we thank them and, and wish them well because only they deserve more to than just be put on a released and retained list. They deserve more than that. They're, they're human beings, they're people. They've, you know, they've dedicated themselves to the football club over however many seasons they've been with the football club and they deserve more than just to be a name on a list. Um, so I've learned things along the way from, from being involved in it and, and how I felt. And, um, and I hope that I can stick to it. Uh, and I, I know people, a lot of people say when, when players become managers, they change. And I can definitely see that, um, like speaking to players before games when you, when you drop them. Um, it's tough, especially if you drop a number of players. And it's tough to do it week in, week out because you've, you're thinking about the game and how best to win that game. You're not necessarily thinking, oh, I have to speak to that player because I've let him go. Uh, not let him go. I've not, I've not playing him when I played him last game. It's tough to, to do that. It, it really is tough. And I can see that how people say that um, when players become managers, they change. And I'm trying my best not to change. Welcome back to Man Markin. You're still with Dan and Ant. No, Ryan. No, no, Ryan. I'm no. still sad about it. I am sad as well. But yeah. you know what? No, I'm not going to say it. I miss him. I miss him. Don't we? Don't don't we just miss him? He's always here. We're gonna get a pillow in the corner. Do you know what we <laughs> should? Oh, you know what we should do? One of those little cardboard cutouts that they got at the football at the moment. <laughs> you know, like stick it in his seat. That's that's that, that's what we should do. That's it's not an audio feature, but that's what we're gonna yeah. do. Um, so obviously we had Robbie Simpson's interview there, and some of the themes that we kind of touched on before we started the interview that that, that Robbie's gone through there. One thing I wanted to ask you, Ant, mm. which I thought might be quite interesting, would be. Obviously, when you're a teenager, I'd say 14 to 16, but 14 to 18 as well, mm. you're obviously doing finishing your GCSEs, doing your A-levels, and then going into uni, which is what what yeah, we both did. Yeah. And what a lot of people yeah. did at that time and still do. I suppose for, for, for Robbie and for what he does and for other footballers, they're probably looking at, for that period, all they're thinking about was being a footballer. Mm. So I suppose at the age of... 26, 27, 28 that we are now. If you had to think back to that time that you were in, 14 to 18, mm. what did you want to be when you were that age? And then I suppose that links into kind of being a footballer and what you would do yeah. for the rest of your life. I think I, when I was about 14, I, I think I, I wanted to be, I wanted to do something with English. I, I either wanted to be a, a journalist or I wanted to go and teach. I never realised how hard journalism was mm-hmm. and how difficult it was. Uh, I remember talking to someone and I remember it, it being being told how competitive it was and mm-hmm. it, it didn't put me off necessarily but I think with the you know, it's much harder now. I think oh, obviously yeah. to get your stuff out there is great and, and there are a lot of lot of more places who There are more opportunities but there are also because there's more opportunities yeah, it's, it's a, more saturated. It's isn't a bit, it? it's a bigger pond, isn't it? Um so I always always wanted to be be a journalist. I always wanted to you know, cover football and stuff. It's, it, it is a dream job. Like yeah. it really is. You know, you get to write about something that you really love. Yeah, it's great. And then I did have a have a a thought about being a teacher, and I, I really liked the idea. Um, I actually tried it. Didn't really work well for yeah. for whatever reasons. And it it was kind of uh, a bit of a wake up call. Was going well. You've tried it. That's that's fine. He, yeah, he doesn't come. Tick it off your list. Yeah, and I think that's that's the way I, I thought about it. But yeah, making those decisions at fourteen to eighteen really difficult. And when we talk about, you know, we both went to uni, mm. 
it's something I was thinking about the other day, and in, in particular with the situation they've got now. Mm. You know, looked at the Manchester students and the way they've been treated recently, and it's—I <laughs> think it's nothing short of a disgrace, really, yeah, to be honest—to yeah. cage them in or any students up and down the country come back, spend nine grand on tuition fees, three grand and a maintenance loan, which will go to your rent company, and then you can't go out your house, you can't do anything, you're yeah. laying online. And it's just a big con in the world at the moment. And I think what what I'm going to go to is that when we were in school, it was all about that. It was all about... Oh, we'll it was get, gearing up to that, wasn't we'll it? We'll get grades and we'll go to uni and we'll, we'll do this. Yeah. And, and then there were the, the trades and the, the apprenticeships, they weren't there. They were taken away. I mean, know why we were taken away years ago. Yeah. You know, they were made small and harder to get on and you know people couldn't afford to, to do them. You know, I think when we were going into college I think it was just after a recession or just coming out of a recession 2009 yeah um so it was really difficult um for a lot of people and a lot of companies as well and you know it was all about going to uni but you know to make that decision without anything on the other side of it yeah yeah so it's it's quite hard and you're only going down one road it's and, scary isn't it and I don't yeah. think I think like looking back on it now because, I mean, the, the, the both of us are, are in full-time employment, mm. but probably not in jobs that when we were 14, 15, 16, 17, no. he probably didn't even know existed. I don't even think they relate to my degree, to no, be honest. No, same. <laughs> but I, I think it's 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 scary when you look back on it. Because yeah. I'm not 100% sure what I thought I wanted to be at that age. Probably yeah. still wanted to be a footballer, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I think... You still do, don't you? Yeah, yeah mate. <laughs> still harbouring the dream. <laughs> Score them Monday night. Score them Monday night. And Monday night, seven aside. It's, it's, it's the comeback. Yeah. The comeback. Eight aside, mate. Come oh, sorry, on. Eight Have some side. respect. Um, but yeah, so I think it's... it's I, when I think about footballers and think when they're... Because there is this, this, this thing that I feel like... So Robbie was saying, Jordan, when he was in... Coming up to me and he said, you're told all the time, you've got to give evidence to be a footballer. You've mm. got to get... You know, you've got to be like laser focused on the rest of it. And then he was talking about, well, actually, studies have shown that's not quite true. Yeah. If you have different focuses, it can actually allow you to be more successful on the pitch because you're not so, you know, emotionally involved in the actual football itself. And I do think, in in a lot of ways, for a lot of people, when you people are told kind of at a, quite a young age now, you've got to pick a career, you've got to pick what you want to do, mm. you need to make, you know, you've got to pick your A levels, then you've got to pick your degree, and then you've got to pick, and and there's a lot of lot of stuff going on. Mm. And you can feel like when you like I, I saw on Twitter the other day there was someone tweeting about the fact that they were trying to just apply for a job, like any job, yeah. and they were a law graduate, and they were getting turned down from jobs because they were overqualified for it. Which I kind of I get from like a business side of it, but equally it's like I feel like there's so much pressure put on young people to be like decide what you need to do, make a decision, and then. If you get to 22, 23, 24 and you haven't made that decision or you haven't got into something, there's a there's a there's an expectancy that can then lead to people feeling maybe a bit like they've failed. And yeah. then for footballers, you can well imagine for, for them that's ramped up ten times, even from a younger age. That if they you know, they get you know, they're told you have to do everything to be a footballer and like if you don't make it if you make it as a footballer, that's a success story. Yeah. Which would then mean that if you don't, it's a failure story. Also- so imagine being like 18, 19, 20, 21, and you spend 10 years working to be a footballer, yeah. and then you're not a footballer. I, it doesn't... It must really be difficult. terrifying. But it, but it also, it also, you know, what what is a footballer? If, I mean, I would say semi-pro is a, is a great level. Yeah. Like, you know, 
Which Mike uh, Mike Kinsella said, didn't absolutely. he? Absolutely. So I think I think you know it needs to be that. But there's also you know when you're a, you're a teenager, you're coming up and you you you, you learn about things. You learn at such a fast rate. You're enjoying your life, and then it's like, oh, you got to monetize this. Yeah. And you're like, oh, do I have to really? Yeah, yeah. And then I remember having this this like thought, just walking around in, in a shopping center one day, you know, as teenagers do, and they were, I was going, I, I've got to get a job here mm. at some point where does the money come from like where I remember thinking to myself that's a that's a big thing yeah it's really difficult and I think you know you're talking about football football is you know something you do for enjoyment mm. and then obviously if you're really good at it, you must be enjoying it as well yeah you'd assume from the outside looking in and and then it's like, oh no, you're gonna monetize this. You've got to do everything. Yeah, you know? it becomes less about enjoying it and more about it being a job, yeah. which is a different dynamic. And I think for a young and at a young age to have to understand that as well. And we've spoken to a lot of footballers. You've gone, you know, with sacrifice stuff, and you're like, you're sacrificing stuff at 14, 15 for that's not that's, that's poor. Like, like, I mean, like, like, I mean, you know, it's not sacrificing like you know everything. There's obviously still part of but life it, but, that they can enjoy, but there are things. But that it's they, huge, though, isn't yeah, it? Those those times when you're a teenager, you know, I think most people look back and say that they they were like the most enjoyable. Like I think about when we were in college, the couple mm. of years we had in college. If you'd have wanted to be a professional footballer, couldn't have done half of the stuff we were getting up to. <laughs> and I just think, I know, like you wouldn't fit, have been able to play football for your school or anything or anything no. like that, would you? You'd go for a kickabout with not, your mates, not much, you, you know, know any of that sort of thing. And that's why, like, fans like really enjoy like oh Wayne Rooney went on his debut and went and played spot on the fucking wall yeah, yeah, yeah. do you know what I mean if it, uh, it, 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 it establishes a connection back with people yeah. that's maybe been lost a little exactly, bit exactly but it, it it is difficult and I I've, I really like that idea of, of Robbie was allowed to go and learn and we've seen it with Mark Pallias has spoken about it a lot hasn't yeah. he and that's why he's, he's Duncan, probably Duncan Watmore's another one wasn't yeah, it yeah and you know I don't see why there, there isn't there isn't more of that I, well I especially when players by their own admission, are generally quite bored through the week. <laughs> yeah. they, 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 they they train for two or three hours, yeah. which is a stick that's used to beat them as well, yeah. which I think is unfair because they only train for two or three hours because that's all they're given. In yeah. t- you know, they're not, it's not like they, they, they can then go and hammer the gym for a few hours because they're told not to because you don't want to knock yourself out. So th- th- there is an element of if you create an environment that, that allows s- s- other passions, I suppose football's maybe worried that oh, we, we don't want to give... You know, if you've got Mason Greenwood at 16, 17, and you think he's going to be mustered when he's older, you don't want to be going, oh, don't, don't give him a textbook. You might get interested in that then. And then he won't be as concentrated on his football. <laughs> which is which is, which is is nonsensical, isn't it? Because when you're actually in school, you're encouraged to do... Why are you learning extra- about trickle-down economics, <laughs> Mason? <laughs> Stop saying sedimentation. It's not relevant. So I just think... Like, Shut up about your glaciers. Come on. <laughs> and and it doesn't even have, doesn't even have to be a degree. It, it, that's just like an, an obvious example. Yeah. But... With with Robbie, I think he he does a lot of work with players who are coming towards the end of the career, yeah. as well as players who maybe don't start their career. If that makes sense, and and I just think football needs to kind of look at itself and think, what is it we're actually doing? Because ultimately, if they're taking kids in uh, into an academy at the age of 12, 13, 14, whatever, maybe some of them much younger than that, and they're in their custody of care until they're eighteen. They've got as much a responsibility as the schools have got, yeah, and absolutely. the schools will get hammered if they yeah. don't if they don't provide the right opportunities. I think I'd like to think the majority of, of football clubs have got great people in, involved in them. Yeah. We, we you know we spoke to a, quite a few of them, yeah. and, and obviously Pete Lowe, we, we spoke to the other week as well, didn't we? And 
you know, you see his passion for it, and you see him saying, "Oh, enjoy the game, like just, yeah. just enjoy yeah. it. It's football. It's it's ninety minutes where you can run around and yeah. score goals and tackle mm. and and head the ball and let know, the football uh, be the football, uh, isn't it? exactly. And then you know, I'd like perfect world. You want more of that, but obviously, you know, you, you get the little dark side of it. Yeah. And it's like let's yeah. monetize these players, let's sell them, let's do this, let's do that. We've got to got to win games and get yeah. three points. Yeah. And look, it's difficult. It's a really hard balancing act. Um, but the, you know, on the other side of it, we've seen so many. You know, Robbie's doing a great job here. Yeah. Where you know you're preparing people for outside of the game. Danny Nardiello preparing people outside of the game. Yeah. With finances, even when they're in the game as well. Yeah. Ben Burgess, who we spoke uh, about before, yeah. it's a slightly different way of looking at it. But even it, he got to yeah. early thirties and thought, what well, you know, I think his knees were playing up yeah, was his yeah. issue, and he was like, I, I've got to do something here. Yeah. And and as Robbie said. Ultimately, it does come down to the individual. The individual has got to take responsibility for themselves. But it's just about creating that environment Absolutely, that allows yeah. people to go yeah. and do it, which is going back to, to, to our kind of MO, which is around mental health. Mm-hmm. The same thing applies to, to football clubs with that as well. Create an environment that footballers allow a comfort. So if you create an environment where footballers feel comfortable to say, I'm struggling here or I need mm-hmm. some help or whatever it might be, if they're coming, able to say, I'm worried about not if I don't make this as a footballer what am I going to do with my life afterwards because all my mates are on apprenticeships and yeah. going to uni or they've got jobs what I'm, you know, what, I'm going to be well behind them all yeah. and rather than the club going don't worry about that you just got to concentrate on your football for a club to create an environment that goes okay well we've got we're, mm. we're going to put you in touch with laps and they can talk you through some options about what you can do in the meantime yeah. if it doesn't work out yeah. and then that removes the pressure and will mm. probably increase the likelihood that they do become a professional footballer absolutely I think you know the differences in sports as well one example you know when we're talking about you know what you want to be yeah as a, as a teenager even if you're just looking in a sport environment when you take it to uh, over the atlantic to america you're looking at these you know the, the quarterbacks so russell wilson played baseball a lot of them played basketball they tried mm. all these different sports yeah and it's the same with football a lot of them are uh, athletes yeah um so runners and, and and the like and sprinters so you know it is about trying different sports and it's yeah. about you know and there will be choices and will be hard things you have to pick yeah it, it um, broadens your identity within your own eyes as but well and you see it in in the games you know particularly in american football you see those those baseball style throws you see those basketball style catches and jumps and you're like well, that makes a better sport doesn't it you know yeah. you, you yeah. allow things yeah. to go and and it, even just learning about different sports widen and actually yeah, I can apply this to this yeah. so imagine if you took it and gone well, actually this guy knows a little bit about how to I know <laughs> he's going to take something from whatever he's learned in a, in a college or, or, or school or whatever and apply it into into football mm. not even if that's just talk to someone to yeah. try and get a decision or something or something like that but he's also got that thing of if if you're a so like even if it's interacting with fans as yeah. well, you know. But you also get that thing of doing do that. just doing something different, yeah. allowing your brain to concentrate on something different. Yeah. I think is really important, and I that's think, a good message I think for everybody as well as to have. Carl said it right all the way back in in, in series one. Mm. Carl said, didn't he? If it, you know, if foot, going to football is your only hobby, yeah. then find another one, yeah. and and then find another one, and then yeah. find one that that has you interacting with different people, yeah. and and has you speaking to people that you wouldn't normally speak to, and learning skills that you may, and it just makes such an enormous difference. Absolutely, massively. Absolutely. 
Right, and then that's probably a good place to wrap up. I think so. Lovely. Wrap up, little Christmas theme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I assume people have been enjoying our um, advent calendar videos. Well, yeah, I think so. I got a, I got a couple of messages where you know, some good, some bad. Sometimes good, sometimes shit. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, mixed, mixed. Much like a box of celebrations. Exactly. No, but a yeah, mixed we've bag. Had, we've had fun doing them live. Oh yeah, massively so. Yeah. I'm gonna. I've got a couple of ideas of what I'm gonna to do today, so we'll see what nonsense comes out <laughs> in the wash. Uh, and thank you for your time, mate. Yeah, no problem. And uh, Ryan, thank you for yours. Oh, I forgot he's he's not, he's not here. here no, no, no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you've been listening to Man Marking. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can find us at Marking underscore Man. And what hashtag do these lovely listeners of ours need to remember to keep using? And where's the talking lads? Where's the talking lads? Yeah, um, you can find laps. Life after professional sport. Find them on Twitter, which is just at laps. Uh, if you go for, if you go to Robbie Simpson's page as well, if you just type in Robbie Simpson and go onto his Twitter account. There's links through there as well, and their website you can find it through the Twitter. And it's even if you're not a professional athlete, it's worth just having a look yeah. through it because I think it's really interesting the way they set it up and and just listening to Robbie's voice there. I'm sure you kind of get the idea of how passionate he is about it and and open and forward thinking as well with it, so you can see why it's been such a success so far. So we will see you next time. We've got another episode out on Wednesday, special episode with uh, Nikki Truman. Mm. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, yeah, just keep enjoying yourself. Take care of yourself. We're going to leave you with Robbie Simpson's quick fire. <laughs> <laughs> see you later. <laughs> the big one, coffee or tea? Tea. That was a close one though. That was tough. How do you take your tea? Uh, milk, and, milk and half a sugar. Oh, Ryan's shaking his head right now, I'm sure of it. Thinks you're a Philistine. <laughs> um, Favourite football chant? And if there is one, one that was about yourself. God, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know, being, being an Arsenal fan, I, I just loved Ian Wright, right, right. I loved it. I just think he's a great character. For myself, yeah. um, for myself, I think, Cambridge United used to sing Walking in a Simpson Wonderland. Yeah. Give us a rendition, Robbie. <laughs> no. <laughs> Daniel Nardiello is the only one who's sung for us so far, but we'll keep asking. <laughs> um, what's your most memorable moment as a player? Uh, scoring at Anfield at the cop end, I think. Either that or the or the promotion day last year at MK Dunn. It's got to be Anfield. Yeah. <laughs> Or beating Man U at Old Trafford in my first start for Coventry. That's three. Sorry, I know you only wanted one. You just we'll showing off co- now, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, you've talked uh, a lot about um, laps and players' careers today, Robbie. And um, we did find a video of you rapping. So, if you were a footballer, would that have been a possibility? Musician? No. <laughs> I mean, if you've seen the video you you can see why I say no I have to take the call before to start listening to it <laughs> god yeah that'd be funny actually <laughs> <laughs> initiation songs you just gotta like the initiation songs are funny at football clubs you get those that just refuse to do it and, and it really are happy to pay a fine not to do it and then you got those that really embrace it. And I try and be, be one of those that embraces it and just gets people laughing, really. <laughs> um, Robbie, what's the, the funniest sort of dressing room instruction you've been given whilst you're a player? I don't know. I always, I always laugh when, 
when when managers say um, you've got you've got to want it more than them. <laughs> I, I, I I I always have a little chuckle to myself because everyone wants to win as much as each other, <laughs> and just just like a tactical instruction like. We've got to want it more than them. Like, what is that? <laughs> I always have a little chuckle under my breath at that. It's a regular shout that from us when we're at the match. If someone puts a big, puts a reducer in, it's just a shout of, you've got to want it. You've just got to want it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not as good as box them in, though. Yeah, five and ten, box them in. <laughs> first five, first five, turn them. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there a funniest comment from the crowd that's ever stuck with you throughout your career? Um, yeah, I've had lots of ginger comments from, especially <laughs> away, away at Millwall, just warming up. Um, <laughs> I think it was the first time I'd ever played against Millwall, and uh, they just said, "I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this," but they just called me everything under the sun, including the word ginger. They <laughs> basically said that I was a terrible footballer and that I'm. That I'm playing not very well, and I just looked looked at them and laughed. And went, I'm not even playing. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I didn't even think I was ginger. <laughs> it was a revelation to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Robbie Meatloaf once said that he'd do anything for love, but he wouldn't do that. What's the craziest thing you've ever done for love? Do you know what? This is going to sound terrible, but I never used to skip school. Ever, never bunk a lesson ever, but I I bunked a lesson to ask my wife to be my girlfriend, and I hated it. And she knows <laughs> this. That, she knows this day that it really took a lot for me to bunk school. <laughs> and uh, um, yeah, so that's that's the craziest thing that I've, I've done. I think. <laughs> I can, Sorry, that was a bit lame. I can see why you were called the student when you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're obviously from down south, but you've played a lot of your career up, up north, Robbie. For you, where does the north of England start? <laughs> um, I'll go from north of Coventry. Okay. Yeah, when I when I lived in Coventry, I didn't really see that as as north. So, but anywhere further north for me is north. People from Birmingham fuming right now. <laughs> <laughs> um. If you could have played under one manager in the world, who would it have been? And you can't choose Ferguson or Guardiola. Uh, Alton Wenger. Oh, yeah. should have taken him out as well. That was an obvious one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. And to end with a banger, I think this was just in the WhatsApp group this week, to be fair. I don't, don't know why else we'd ask it, but do you keep your tomato sauce in the fridge or the cupboard? In the fridge. Ooh, Although I don't, like, I, don't, I don't often have tomato sauce. I'm a more of a barbecue or brown sauce guy. Either way, it should be in the fridge, so that's the right answer. Oh, yeah. 100%. I, I disagree. It's got to be in the cupboard for me. Oh, no. You keep, here's a question for you. Do you keep your butter in the fridge or not? No. Ooh. Well, I keep it in the fridge until it needs to go in the dish, and then once it's in the dish, it's in the cupboard. Yeah, I'd yeah. probably go with that, Ryan. I think um, in, in, in the fridge, unless, yeah, until it's been opened, and then, yeah dish away it depends though if it's actual butter if it's like a margarine style they stay in the fridge don't they but i'm a butter man myself they stay in the shop don't they both <laughs> yeah they stay in the shop yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, i'm just gonna do 
little old school garage scene. I remember when I was at school, they treated me like I was awful. Punished me for trying to act poor when they sat me in the class for facing the wall. I was a laugh, but no. I had maths when they get PE. Practiced for my GCSE. I was told the rest were better than me. In English, everyone got C. Not me, they gave me a G. Pushed and kicked by all the bully. Got my head on the ground and grazed up my knee. Sent to school on every birthday. I was detention every Friday. I had to work when I was still playing. I was sent to the office. I've been the DJ. But no, I became an MC. When all of the creatures listened to me. Because they knew we had perfect GMC. And they all knew that something had it in me. More respect come day by diggy day. Please move right out of my way. All because one day I said, hey, I'm C. <laughs> 